whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Brought to you by Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station. As you get older, it doesn't matter if you're a musician or a DJ or, or you work in a bank or you work as a bricklayer, basically, or, you know, some things in your life go right and some things in your life go wrong. And you learn that the things that went right didn't make everything okay forever. <laughs> and the things that went wrong didn't destroy everything forever. <laughs> and then you kind of become a bit more, you know? At ease. Yeah, at ease. Because, you, you know, things, some things go right and some things go wrong. Sometimes you fuck up. Sometimes everything's right. But when you played with the symphonic orchestra, was, <laughs> you know, you, we you, were, you kind of have this attitude, like, we what if it goes wrong? Blah. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was our attitude. Really? It did go wrong. Oh. It did. It did on, on, on the live gig, Murray the Sea, I came in at the wrong place. We stopped, started again. And the same thing happened with Too Close to the Sun. Oh. Yeah, we did fuck up. Yeah, it's all right. It's I mean, beautiful. we were concentrating. I remember the thing about Symphonia that I remember the most yeah. at the time was, yeah, the music was beautiful. And sometimes there's one moment when I'm singing Winter yeah. and the, it's such a beautiful arrangement. And I actually got a big lump in my throat with the beauty of the music. I started crying when I'm trying to sing. I'm going, come on, Justin, get it together. And And... Generally speaking, trying to concentrate like crazy because we changed the arrangements of the song. Yeah. What's happening here? What's with, with you know, it's one shot. We did two days rehearsal, one gig. So you're trying to get it right, but if you don't, it's not the end of the world. When I heard Unbroken first, I didn't hear music. All I, the first thing I heard from a couple of songs was a mood. And I thought, and I thought this mood, <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed that to me, I was like, I was, I was thinking that. Okay, this time there is no light at the end of the tunnel anymore. It's, you know, <laughs> the record's called Unbroken. I'm like, this is serious. This is angry. This is basic. This is somehow essential new model army. But then it's, to me, it seemed darker than ever. Am I right? Did you feel like that at the end? I was waiting for this happy end. I didn't feel it. Did I have to feel it? You feel what you feel. <laughs> I, we, put, okay. we put Dessert as last because I thought that yeah. Dessert is, has got a kind of happy vibe at the end. It's a kind of... I think what's on the album, to me, is uh, it feels very defiant. Yeah. It feels unbroken. It doesn't feel like... It's not despair. It is anger, but it's not despair. I think it's got okay. a lot of energy and kind of, fuck it. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's a lot, of, a lot of that defiant thing going on. It is. But then, again, I don't see the glory anthem at the end of the day and go like, well, we succeed, you know? He did, you know? Yeah. <laughs> at the end, it's, um, first of all, you have the, the choir, and then you have uh, the last lines on the record, really, are still these mornings I wake up singing, even if I can't remember why. And I do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's kind of optimistic. No. <laughs> Yes, I'll totally give you did that, you obviously. Feel, right, so you felt... Did you feel totally in despair by the end of the record? I didn't feel at ease. Didn't feel... <laughs> at ease, like, you know... At ease? No, yeah. I don't think no. anyone looks to Nemo allow me to feel at ease. <laughs> I don't think that's the point. I think the point yeah. is to be, be filled with spirit and energy. Yeah. When we set out to write... I mean, it's strange you to say that, because 
There's quite a lot of songs on the record that are quite personal and they're not yeah. about socio-economic political stuff at all. Um, some of it is, but a lot, like, a lot of it isn't. Mm. Yeah, it's very kind of eclectic. I think there's uh. a lot of different moods. Uh. But we weren't trying to make a record about... Actually, we, we weren't trying to do anything. I, <laughs> okay. What you're hearing, what you're hearing on that album is a bunch of demos. We started writing in towards the end of 2021. Yeah. And we were just in our own studio pissing about and uh, writing songs with some ideas we had. And then it was interrupted several times by the, the, the much-delayed anniversary tour. That took quite a long time. The whole Symphonia project... Um, all these other things. So we were sort of working on it and then we were stopped working on it and then we work on it a bit more. And what happened was that we, at the beginning of the process, we were talking about who do we want to produce it or mix it. Yeah. We didn't know who we wanted to produce it, but we knew we wanted Chad Blake to mix it. So we wrote to Chad Blake and he said, send us some demos. Uh, so we sent the demos and he wrote back and said, are these demos or are they works in progress? And we said, they're demos. We want to talk to you about where we should record it properly. Yeah. You know, with who, with what producer, would you be interested? How should we produce it? And he said, I love these demos. Mm -hmm. And we said, do you want to mix the demos? And he went, yeah. <laughs> so, we, so we basically sort of finished it off in our own little studio. We're not recording anything, like, properly. And sent him, and then we did rough monitor mixes. And we thought he would change everything. Mm -hmm. He didn't change anything. He just made our monitor mixes sound a billion times better. The thing about Chad Blake is that extraordinary ability he has. I remember first hearing a Black Keys record quite a long time ago, and I heard it, and I thought, is this very old mm -hmm. or is it extremely modern? And it's kind of both at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's Chad. I, th I think he's mm -hmm. an extraordinary mixer. Uh, so we were very happy to work with him, I and mean, we didn't work with him. He, you know, we don't go. You don't go and work with Chad. He does Chad things, and then you, and then you, you go yes, or can he change that? And he changes it, but he doesn't want people around when he's working. It's, Partly yeah. because he likes to work on two or three projects at once. Yeah. So when he wakes up in the morning, when he was working on us, he was mixing the Peter Gabriel album that just came out and Black Keys album that's coming out. Um, so he'd wake up in the morning, what mood am I in today? Peter Gabriel, Black Keys, or Neil Army. And so he could work on, if there's no one there, he just works on what he wants to work on. And then we went and worked with him on the last day, sort of tweaking the mixes. Lovely guy. He's Texan, but he lives in Wales. <laughs> you got to find that first. Uh, yeah, so basically, and we were talking about, what is it about demos? And he said, and we were, we were both talking about this, and we said that, that when you first think of an idea and you want to record it, you're not trying to play it perfectly. You've just got an idea, and, so, and you're very excited about it. So you play it with that excitement. Yeah. And I think this is especially true of Michael, because Michael is a great and very creative drummer, but he has an advanced sense of responsibility. So when he's playing, if, you know, if he's in a studio and the red light goes on and we're all playing together, and you know, he, he concentrates on playing it right but if you're just in the studio and we're fucking about in our own little place that we're familiar with and we're just chucking ideas around, he plays free. And when Michael plays free, he's a fantastic drummer. So there, there was all that which is just, and I've just written a lyric, I'm going to sing it. I'm not thinking about how to sing it right. I've just <laughs> written it. I'm just excited about it. I'm going to give it a shot. And so there's all that kind of immediacy. 
And often, you know, bands' demos have that, and they lose, and then later on they record it properly, and they lose something. Okay, it gets better, it's more sophisticated later, it's perhaps a bit cleaner, but there is something about the beginning of the process that's exciting, and I think there's a lot of that on that record. How much different do you think the record would have turned out if you recorded it then properly? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Wouldn't you be curious? There are a lot of things I'm curious about. You know, what would have happened if? But there's nothing to do about it, so, you know, that's not. <laughs> okay. It's okay. gone, it's done. And, when, uh, and that's uh, the second thing, obviously, that came to mind when, uh, when I heard it the first time. I thought this is incredibly raw. This was quite deliberate in the sense that yeah. we've made a few records, which, particularly from here, um, which was a big sounding record. And we went yeah. to Norway to make it, and it had that atmosphere of big, um, quite grand, quite melancholic. And then, uh, then we became a four piece instead of a five piece. Yeah. That changed quite a lot of things. We toured the anniversary. You know, all the anniversary tours where we were playing quite a lot of old stuff and we were playing a hundred different songs um, over a year. And that we quite liked this kind of simplicity of being a four-piece. We'd already decided we wanted to make an album that was kind of direct and simple. Mm -hmm. Then we did the orchestra thing. So the orchestra <laughs> thing is massive and expansive and sophisticated. And that made us even more want to do... <laughs> When we did the orchestra thing, we did... It was Sharan that really wanted to do the orchestra thing. She pushed it. And we went, we went along with it because, you know, what band wouldn't be interested to play with, to do an orchestral versions? Um, but we said, if we're going to do it, we're going to do the opposite at the same time. So that we played the Tempodrome on Friday night. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we played two gigs at the SO36, which is a famous punk rock club yeah. in Berlin, where we played with no keyboards, no just basic drums, bass, guitar, nothing sophisticated. We just banged it out like a punk band. And so this was kind of a bit in our heads, this kind of raw, simple, arrangements are simple, And actually, I suppose, as we demoed, we, we got some interesting ideas, all sorts of other instruments on it besides guitars. You know, there's kalimbas and there's dulcimers and there's all sorts of shit. Mm. But the principle was simple, and especially that thing with, which is particularly New Model Army, which is this emphasis on bass and drums. Yeah. You know, most rock bands, the bass and drums are the background onto which they layer guitars and keyboards and, and stuff. With New Model Army, from day one, bass and drums in the front. You know, yeah, there's some guitars. But, but it's all about the bass and drums and the rhythm section. And this album, absolutely, it's all about the bass and drums and rhythm section. Why would you have decided in the first place to be like that? Is that just the way you feel? That yeah. the music should supposed yeah. to be? Yeah. Yeah, we went out and played gigs as a four-piece and we were playing a lot of old material and we were going, fucking hell, love this. Uh, you know, so let's do that. Um, always, we, we sort of feel our way forwards. I've been talking about this a little bit because I've, I've just read Bono's autobiography. I don't usually read autobiographies by musicians, but actually I thought it'd be really interesting and it is. You know, he's not a stupid man, and he's and actually he's a very humorous man. Mm. He knows what he is, and and but the story of you too is there's lots in the book about his political work as well. But the story of you too is this: the same four people, 
that every now and again, they, they've, by the end of the 80s, they had mastered the stadium rock being Jesus Christ gig. You know, they, were, they, they had mastered it. And then they felt the need to reinvent themselves. And they tried and tried over, over years to reinvent the band. Sometimes more successfully than others. Sometimes it yeah. worked and sometimes yeah. it didn't really. But this need to reinvent yourself. I think that all artists are like that. You have to. But with New Model Army, what's happened is that over the years, there's been changes of personnel. Yeah. And that changes everything. One new person is not like the old band with the new person. It's a new band. Yeah. It changes all the dynamics. So all the various changes we've been through over the years have been quite organic. Um, and so it changes naturally. And we're all also But you seem to embrace restless. this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Other people wouldn't, you know? Oh, come on. Any, any artist <laughs> wants to... You don't want to repeat what you're doing. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, uh, there's people who have... You know, if, if you have to welcome a new member in the band, they would go like, okay, this is going to be a lot of work to make this guy sound like whatever he's supposed to sound like. But it seems like you bring those people in and you let them, you know... Yeah, we, we we're interested in, you know, the, the the new person. What ideas have you got? You know, what ideas? We we will any whatever we do, we will new model armyfy whatever they bring in. Yeah. You know, Kerry Kerry comes from a background of um, parents are folk musicians. His brother, one of his brothers, is um, harp player in Florence and the Machine, uh. and another brother is drummer in Extreme Noise Terror. But he came in with this <laughs> kind of Extreme uh, Noise Terror, yeah, uh, but metal band. <laughs> and they and he came in with this kind of folk meets metal, but not rock. He's yeah. not really a rock guy, Kerry. It's folk music and metal music, and and that was a kind of different thing for us. Um, but yeah. So let's take Kerry ideas and New Model Army fire them. And uh, he's good for, with that because he loves the band. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, it's an instinct. It's like, what happens? So people keep saying to me, what's the difference between now and 43 years ago when, yeah. you, when you started the band? Yeah. And I keep thinking about it and I, I can't think of one because the, basically you get in a room with a bunch of people and you make a noise that you love. And you're proud of, and you go, we made this, fucking love it. And 43 years later, it's basically the same. I probably think so, but within those, all those years, you lived through certain processes, and you made experiences that just shape you. And so it cannot be exactly the same as it's it was It's not the before. same, it's the feeling is the same and the process is the same. The, the, how you are inside, of course you're different. You, you've learned lots about life and, and as we were saying before the interview, you know, all, for all of us as you get older, when you're young you, you, you think about success and failure and you yeah. want success and you're scared of failure. And then when you get old, it doesn't matter what you do in life, whatever you do in life, some things go right and some things go wrong. And the, and the things that, that go wrong are not the end of the world. And the, and the things that go right don't make everything okay forever. You know, things move on and things change. And so as you go on, you're less scared of failure and you're, and you're less trying to achieve success. You know, nothing has... If things are imperfect, they're imperfect. But, you know, and you're always trying for... You're trying to create something that you think is great. That's, just, that's simple.
Yeah. <laughs> okay. But what about the, your audience? <clears throat> I mean, everything that you, everything you do is new model army somehow. What about them? Yeah, I don't. People, people say we get this asked this question all the time. What about your audience? <laughs> what audience? The, the the thing about audiences is, I talk to other to other singers about this sometimes, and they always they always talk about the audience like it's one thing. Yeah, I don't think it's one thing. I think I look out into a crowd. And I see lots of individuals that have got different backstories, different needs from the music, different favorite songs, definitely different ways of responding. You know, some people want to dance, some people want to build pyramids, some people want to make a little special tribe that they think is special. Um, some people want to stand at the back and just listen to the music. Yeah. And I'm, we never will do the thing that you have to do to be a big band, which is everybody say, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> unite an audience. I don't feel the need. Yeah. So are we trying to please an audience? How can you look out at all those different individuals with different stories in their lives and try to please them all? Not a, Forget it. We never even try. Yeah. Are you going to play the big songs? Well, which are the big songs? Everyone's got different favourites. Are we going to try? No. We're <laughs> going to try to make something we think is great. Yeah. And then if they love it, they love it. And if they don't love it, they're disappointed. Tough. All right. <laughs> Point taken. Let's talk about some songs on a new record. There was the first one that I heard that came out a couple of weeks before. It's the first summer after. What's the first summer after like? Um, the first summer after was uh, musically, that that was a very fast song to write. Okay. I think I was in the studio with Kerry about three o'clock in the morning. And I said, make a weird noise on the bass. And he, <laughs> and he did. And I went, oh, I've got an idea for that. <laughs> and 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 that and then the next day Michael came in and got I got a beat for that. <laughs> so it was very fast. And the lyric is about a road trip that I did with my partner in the summer of 22. Yeah, we drove across Slovakia and Poland, um, and there was this very strong feeling everywhere we were in the air. It was the first summer after COVID, after the lockdowns and stuff. And the last summer before, you know, the war had just started in Ukraine. Everybody was very scared about, you know, fuel prices, inflation starting, there's the rise of right wing everywhere. There's a kind of perfect you know, climate, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. This perfect storm that we've been singing about, you know, this perfect storm of our own making is coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, now it's here. You know, this first summer after last summer before it was a phrase that kept going through my mind and I thought well that's a song right. and the lyrics just about the road trip really alright all right. I did nothing wrong I had to read about the you know the, the, the base for this for the lyrics for this thing because it's not it wasn't really familiar over here well there's no reason it would be familiar in Germany if, you, if German people are interested it is an extraordinary story there's no need for you to google it but do google it it's an extraordinary story of corporate monstrous corporate arrogance and uh, government arrogance and the way that um, not even little people just normal ordinary People, good people mostly, got fucking shafted by by the corporation, and um, and then I and I knew about this story 
I mean, there's, the story's been going on for 15 years, mm -hmm. but it was public knowledge three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. And I started reading, I think I was reading about it during lockdown. And we wrote the song in 21. And now there was a, do, a, a sort of dramatization of it in Britain. Um, and now, finally, talking about it, and it was front page news, and we thought, well, we've got a song about this, we'll put it out. Yeah. Um, and then I took the idea of this, the, the way that computers have taking are taking over cultures and and taking over civilization um to into a broader idea about the way algorithms work and so on the problem with computers you know ai and and mm -hmm. ai is never going to take over the world um because computers are stupid computers can only do mm -hmm. one or zero that's all they can do so now we are altering our culture into being a binary culture. There's only yes or no. There's only right or wrong. There's only innocent or guilty. And the way the algorithms work, you know, this binary world that we live in, you know, the, Israel, Hamas, you know, one zero, pick a side. Pick a side? You know, I'm a human being, there is, there is context and there is nuance. And human beings are actually quite good at holding two completely different ideas in their heads at the same time. Computers can't do that. Computers are fucking stupid. So uh, it was went on to discuss that idea about yeah. this binary world we're creating, which I hate. You yeah. know, if you like this, you'll if you like this, you'll love that. You know, there's an interesting thing about algorithms. If you if you think if you think about the way they work, Spotify, for instance. So some people that listen to this song have then clicked on this artist or this song. So obviously the people that like that song, like like that music, like this music. So now when you're on Spotify, they say, Well, if you like that, you'll like this. So you're drawn to that. Yeah. So maybe you'll click on it, which then reinforces the algorithm that, you know, so it gets kind of fixed as that's what... Yeah. But actually, usually with Spotify, for instance, I'll click on something and they'll say, well, if you like that, you'll like this. 90% of the time I don't. <laughs> You know, <laughs> but you clicked on it. But I clicked on ah! it. So the next time the algorithm will work for somebody else, yeah. they'll go to the they'll be taken to the same place. So it fixes shit. It, 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 and the way that I, you know the way that you click on something, what makes you click? Um, being angry. I mean, this is discussed quite a lot. And then there's a song called Language, yeah. you know, where we discuss this idea. You know, uh, what makes you what makes you click? Cats, pornography, and anger. So that's what you're going to be fed. Yeah, 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 exactly. So nuance, subtlety, slow things, affectionate love things generally are not going to come up. Do you own a mobile phone? I do own a mobile phone. All right. <laughs> do I do social media? No. The, do, does New Model Army do social media? Yeah, yeah. we have a presence. There's, there's somebody that runs a Facebook page and stuff. But do we... They always say, we need, we need content. We need... We need um, can you book bits of you recording? And I'm going, no. <laughs> uh, what about, you know, um, the, the, can, you, can you put bits from backstage or on the tour bus so people can see? I'm going, no, it's private. Which is good. Uh, there's one song I had to look up the name Idomea. Did I write it? Idomea, yeah. 
how did you come up uh, with this interesting title? Yeah. there's a few songs um language is one of them there's a couple of songs like the summer after that were written in a day. Yeah. Um, other songs took a long time. Itamia started life as a kind of James Brown riff, actually. Strangely enough, doesn't <laughs> sound like that now, but it did. Um, and then Michael put this kind of weird uh, tribal, very Michael Dean tribal beat on it. And then we decided to do it with two drummers. So Kerry and Michael played it together. We thought, well, this this going tribal. Let's let's do a folk guitar on it. So Kerry came up with a folk guitar part, which is a bit like the theme from Deadwood. You know, it's very Western. Um, <laughs> so that went there, and always in my head, I've been interested in sacred harp singing. There is this weird form of well, weird's the wrong word. A really interesting form of singing which grew up in the churches of New England. Um, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. American. In a way, it's kind of like white gospel. There is a hymn book. It's got 400 hymns in it. Mm -hmm. And they're all laid out in three, four-part harmonies. And uh, they're kind of those middle European. I'm not sure what the musical... There's a musical term for the way the harmonic structure is. But it's kind of middle European mm -hmm. harmonic structure. Mm -hmm. And they have these gatherings of Sacred Heart singing. And I went to one in Sheffield. Half the people there were very, kind of come from a religious background. Half of them, not so much. They're really into singing and that choral singing. And they say, and they all bring food and they share food. And the one I went to, there's about 40 people. And they say, Brenda, which, which hymn would you like to sing? Brenda said, well, we'll sing, uh, you know, hymn number 46. So they all go to hymns. Hymn number 46, get a note, ah. And then they all, they all are able to sing and read. So they're reading the notes and singing the words. Oh, yeah. So it's, you have to be able to read. It's not complex. Yeah. It's also called shape note singing. And the, the notes are, are laid out in shapes, so they're easy to find. Mm. But you, you pick the harmony that you feel that will suit your voice. Off we go, one, two, three, four. Sing it as loud as you possibly can with all the spirit in your heart. And it makes an extraordinary noise which is beautiful but not perfect. And then you get to the end of the hymn and they go... And I'm, I, I, I went to one of these and I'm not able to read and sing, so yeah. I'm really t just taking it in. Trying a little bit... Um, but listening to the extraordinary sound. And they get to the end, and the Robert, which one would you like to sing? Idomir. So they put up Idomir. And again, they sing. And, and I thought, but if they sing the one they just did again, they'll, they'll do it better. Now they've all found the note, they'll all be a bit more in tune, yeah. it'll be a bit more together. Yeah. And I'm missing the point. The point isn't to do it perfectly. The point is just to do it. And, I'm, and that's the most perfect punk rock thing. Yeah. The point is just to do it with all the spirit that you have. And it makes an extraordinary noise. So I'm going, I've always been interested in doing this on a record. So I've found a little clip from YouTube of, it's from an Irish gathering in 2012. They're singing Idomir. And, uh, and I've, I've downloaded that, nicked it, uh, cut it up, I put it into the song. And uh, we went, okay, that's a really interesting idea. We'll, we'll write some new words and we'll get either a real choir or we'll try to construct a choir to do the same thing. And then as we got used to it, we went, but it's just great as it is. 
<laughs> so we wrote to the the Irish Sacred Heart people. I said, can we use this on a, on a record? And they went, yes. It's not in copyright, obviously, the hymn, but the, the recording, yeah, you can use it. Please make a donation to the Sacred Heart Foundation in Alabama, which is where it's based. So we did. We, we sent Alabama a donation for the, for the whole Sacred Heart thing and, and used it. And we sent it to a couple of people in Ireland. We said, is this okay? Because obviously it's not religious in a yeah. way, the song. Yeah. And they went, yeah, we love it. So we're going, okay, good. Through all the new model army life that you had, you wrote a couple of songs and you wrote a couple of lyrics that basically were not foreseeing, but somehow they stood the test of time. There's one, one I remember, it's like, This golden, age, this golden age of communication means everyone talks at the same time. You wrote that 1987, eight. It's, it's valid now more than it was ever before. Do you sometimes go out and go like, I told you so. <laughs> Dear, people, seriously, I told you that way. You know, do you feel that way sometimes? Not really. I, I mean, it was true then. It's just more true now. If you write a song, a song is, is... We were talking about this on the way down, me and Theo. Um, the, the, a song is of a moment. Yeah. It's, it's not meant to be a philosophy. It's not an agenda. And you know doesn't... It's not one of the, There were a few bands when we started, like Crass or, or Redskins or Chumbawamba, and the, 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 where the music was really the backdrop for a, a, an agenda. Yeah. We were never that. The music was there for uh, that for its own reason. It just interests me to write about the world sometimes, and so it's a moment. You write something, you think this is true. If it's true, then it's true of that moment. Yeah, which means it's probably true later. <laughs> yeah, even more so. Huh? It's amazing. Do you think for yourself that? Uh there's some time or a time will come that you're gonna start reflecting on your life because you mentioned bonus biography I haven't read it I read like a first chapter but, but then again I read a lot of biographies I do it's quite an interesting one uh, what about yourself? huh? huh? Yeah, I haven't got an ending the, um, <laughs> the, 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 that's not the you point know, when, I, when I die then it'll be too late to write it I, I might but not at the moment Well, at okay. the moment, the band is in a really good place. Yeah, we 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 the four of us. We, you know, a four piece. Although we may uh, we will be joined on the tour by somebody else, but um, we're basically a four piece, and we're very good together. Four very different characters, but we're in a good place. We trust each other. We like what we're doing. We've got lots of ideas um, for the next thing, and the next thing after that, and the next thing after that. That's kind of what we're interested in. It's a little bit like people saying, you're going to make another solo album. Well, I made a solo album during lockdown, like everybody did. Um, uh, it wasn't but, that but, bad, though. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, it's a good album, but it's a very lockdown album. You know, it's just uh, uh, me and a guitar on a sofa. Um, with, with, and I sent it to various friends around Europe that are musicians, and they sent back cello parts and bass parts and, and put it together. It's quite good. But... At the moment, we're on a kind of roll with the band, and if I say I'm going to write a autobiography, or we're going to we're going to do a retrospective, or or something, we you know we did the 40th anniversary tour, and that that's kind of boring to look back anyway. <laughs> um, I knew it. I knew you would say that. And, ah. and, and 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 
these things take time. Yeah. You know, I, th- I can say, look, I need three months out of the band, and everybody say, fine, except everybody in the band knows me and knows that then it will turn into a year and a year and a half, and 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 everybody wants to everybody wants to create stuff, yeah. band stuff. You know, in a, we're in a good place as a band creatively, I think. And so that's what we want to do. So there is no end to New Model Army? Who knows? I mean, you know, we'd, when we started, we had, no, we had no agenda and we had no pretense that we were going to be a, a band that would last for X number of years. You know, we were just going to play two gigs in a pub. That was the point. <laughs> we we're going to play two gigs. We got two gigs. We need a name for this new group. We got three pieces. New Model Army, yeah, that'll do. Uh, <laughs> We didn't play two gigs. And, and, and then just one thing leads to another and then you can get on a roll and it turns into... It's never really been a career, but it does turn into a life in music. Yeah, we're on a bit of a roll and, and, and there always seems to be new ideas and, and the desire to... Con, the, very much the desire, I think. Let me ask you a different way. Have you ever felt at some point, just maybe just for a second or for a split of a second, that when you were on stage that this could have been or felt like the last gig of the band. Like, like for yourself, I go like, um, this is the mood, like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore, and this is it. Was, it. was this ever there? Was this ever in your mind? Did it ever occur to you? No, I don't think so. Not okay. especially. I do have gigs, though. I remember, uh, I remember a couple of tours. Sometimes at the beginning of a tour, you're concentrating like crazy and on all the new stuff you're playing or, or whatever. And I come off stage and I, th- and I think, I didn't really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next night you go out and do it again and you enjoy that. And then you start to worry. You think, maybe I've lost the feeling. And then gig number four, you go, fucking, I love that. <laughs> you know, like, it comes back. We saw your gig at the backstage out in the open during the lockdown session where you just played you and the guitar. Oh, yeah. How was it compared to playing with New Model Army beside the fact that it was, you know, a special, you know, whatever uh, uh, lockdown thing? I quite enjoyed doing that tour. I mean, I'm sat on a, sat on a chair <laughs> strumming a guitar gently uh, and telling stories. Yeah. So I kind of like that. New Model Army is the opposite. Yeah. It's like an adrenaline rush. And and sometimes I think, you know, in New Model Army, we talk about bass and drums, and it is all about the bass and drums. Sometimes I think I'm just standing on the front of the stage steering a truck downhill. All the power is from behind me. You know, there, there is this immense power coming off the stage, but it's behind me, it's the other guys. And all I'm doing is kind of steering it. And there's this kind of huge adrenaline rush that goes with this. So it's the opposite, and I love both yeah. equally. You know, I like to take my time and tell stories and gently strum an acoustic guitar. I do like doing that and, and kind of sing and be able to sing expressively. But I also love that adrenaline thing. What can we expect of the next tour? Dungeons, Dragons, Fireworks. The uh, typical new model army stuff. I don't, I don't know. We haven't even played any of these songs. Well, actually, no. We, t- we played two of them at Christmas. We played two of the new ones and, and they, felt, they felt great. Partly it was just great to play some new stuff. Um, But they did feel like this is really good material to play live. And I think most of this album is going to be really good to play live. Yeah. But we don't really know yet because we're getting together on Monday to start work. It's a month. We start touring in a month. Yeah. And, and we'll start work on Monday. So uh, 
how do you create a set list out of 47 records? <laughs> it's really difficult. So there's about 250 songs to draw on. It's really difficult. Can you play I, all those songs, the band? This like, band, yeah. this particular four-piece, yeah. we can play most of those records. We played, I think, more than 100 different songs during uh. 2022. Yeah, we do know, the four of us know most songs. Okay, we couldn't just play everything yeah. at the drop of our heart. Yeah. But we're familiar with most of it. But that's not to say we're going to. And do we do requests? No. Um, so doing a set list is... is we, we, I like sets that it's not just a selection of songs. There's You have to put it together. Obviously, this time around, there will be a lot of songs from Unbroken. Don't know how many yet, yeah. uh, but a lot of it. But a set list has to be... First of all, you have to have all the musical considerations so there's a lot of we don't like to stop between songs much mm -hmm. you don't stop let people applaud then you say something and then there's a bit of silence and mostly we like to go bang 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 so you have to take into consideration changes of guitars yeah. um, changes of tuning um, uh, giving people occasionally a rest uh, changes of keys between songs And then you get onto the narrative. So a set list has to be, for us, has to be kind of like a story. Not, not an actual story, but a kind of a journey through a number of different moods. You can't, I can't change from Poison Street to uh, Angry Planet and then back to something light. Do you know what I mean? It's like you can't do light, dark, light, dark. Yeah. Because myself, I'm, I'm lost. Am I light or dark at this moment? So even for ourselves, you're going, you're going through a period, some songs that are kind of dark or angry, and then you go through something that's a bit melancholic and dreamy, and then you go into an area that's angry again, and then you go into a, a bit that's kind of quite celebrationary, and you've got to feel it move as a kind of narrative. So that there will be a lot of songs from uh, Unbroken, but the other songs we select will be songs that complement the narrative. Mm. And, you know, the, the, the people say, oh, are you playing the hits? Well, to start with, we never really had any hits, so that makes it easier. But there are <laughs> 10, 12 big songs. We know we ought to play two of them, you know, but which two <laughs> or three, you know, is up to us. So it's, it's, it's building a kind of narrative. And when we find a set list that works, we tend to stick to it, actually, which I might change one or two songs. Then when it comes to the encores, that's different. That's different every night. Yeah. What do you feel in the mood? What are you in the mood to play? Yeah. How does it feel tonight? Then, then we have a quick discussion about what to play. We've got an encore list of possible songs as long as, you know, 20 there. You know. <laughs> so we choose from that. Then what happens, you play the same set for, or same set, kind of close to the same set, yeah. for two, three weeks, then it starts to get a bit stale. And then you go, we need to change the set list. <laughs> But at that point in the tour, you're already tired. So you kind of get, kind of, there's a danger of being lazy where you go, oh, I can't be bothered. It was all right last <laughs> night. It's all right. It was good last night. Let's just do it again. And you, there is that tendency. But there is also the kind of, When you do feel it's stale, you've got to change it. Yeah, yeah. You're always, when you talk about New Model Army and the, the, the music you created, you tend to be very humble. You mean a lot to a lot of people. Are you sometimes proud of what you created? Yeah, I guess. We never heard. You know? I, guess, I guess we are proud of what we do. We're a very proud band. That's partly why we tell people nothing. 
um, <laughs> you know, we are sort of, we're, we're proud but private. Yeah. Um, but do, do we feel the, the need to go out into the world and sort of tell people how great we are? <sighs> Other people will make up their joke. You know, you, 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 at the beginning, you, you sort of have an idea about yourselves and you want people to understand what you're doing. Yeah. And to, and to see it and feel it in the way that, that we do. But quite quickly you learn that actually you are not in control of perception of the band. Mm. So I know out there there's all sorts of misperceptions about what we are and what we represent and what we do. Sometimes I do interviews like this one to, the, to give <laughs> that version. But, but in general we don't try to control the perception any more than, as we were saying earlier, we control how people respond to the music. Yeah. Just let people take the music the way it is. You know, you, we put these songs out into the world, they'll have a life of their own. People will make their own stories out of them. They'll apply them to their own lives in infinite different ways. I mean, we, we, we mostly make really bad videos. And, um, <laughs> and, and I don't really like videos because with a video, the song is then linked in people's minds to the set of images yeah. which are all identical. One of the things that's strong, wonderful about music is that the music that you love mostly, especially the ones without videos, you've got your own pictures, which might be to do with the place that you first heard it or the, how you felt when you first heard it or a completely abstract um, pictures that you create when you first heard it. Yeah. And they're personal, they're yours. Individual, you know, music is... This extraordinary individual thing. And you can never... Music's a bit like food. You can never tell people what they ought to like. Yeah. They just like what they like. And there's lots of music in the world that... I know it's good music. I'll never say it's bad music. I have total respect for it. But do I like it? Not really. Um, and then there's lots of food that, you know... Things that I ought to eat, but I don't like them. And, and then there's some junk food that you kind of kind of like. Rather like there's there's some shit pop that is a copy of a copy of a copy just made for money. But I can't help it. I love it. You know what I mean? It's 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 like we're all really individual, and and what we love is totally individual. Yeah, yeah. So it's the same with New Model Army songs. Whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Brought to you by Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station.